Hey guys, this is Kurt Hughes, and you're listening to the Base Path Podcast. Hey guys, so the Base Path Podcast is going to be primarily devoted to sharing the stories of um, people that have a professional role in baseball or softball. Um, that could mean that you're playing, that could mean that you're part of a front office, that could mean that um, really you could mean a lot of things, but I also want to leave it open, um, to kind of do fun, interesting, um, interviews to people that I respect, um, in whatever field that might be. Um, but that said, um, I want the podcast to primarily be about the stories and the experiences of others. Although I will be doing the interviewing and I'll be involved and I'm sure that as we go along, I'll be sharing some personal anecdotes as we go. Um, I think it's important to understand that, um, you know, it's not really about me. It's more about the people that I'm interviewing. So I wanted to do a first podcast, um, where it is kind of about me so I can kind of get that off my chest. You guys kind of know who I am, what I'm about, what my backstory is. And I was going to write a blog about this as well. And I think I still might, but I think that this is a, a really, really cool medium to be able to do this. So, um, I'm going to do it here as well. So, um, for as long as I can remember, I've been pretty much obsessed with baseball, um, and softball for that matter. You know, when I was really young, my dad played, um, semi-modified softball, so, um, you know, where they don't fully do the windmill, um, but the guys still throw pretty hard. So, um, I remember some of my earliest memories were of me being, you know, four or five, six years old, dragging around a wiffle ball bat or, you know, a softball bat that was like way too heavy for me at that age and just trying to hit every single ball and bug every single, um, you know, kid of a player on the team or someone to like throw to me. So, um, those are like my earliest memories and, you know, I look back on those fondly, but so as I kind of like grew up, I'm from Vermont originally. Um, and I went to Pulteney high school, which is a really, really, really small high school in Vermont. Um, and when I talk to people in the Virginia area about how Virginia and DC area about how small, um, you know, my high school was, they almost don't believe me just because, um, you know, there was, you know, something like 50 people in my graduating class, which is, which is crazy. And, um, you know, because of that, you're able to be exposed to a lot of things that, um, others aren't right. Like, you know, I played three sports in high school. Um, and that was a lot of fun. I probably wouldn't have been able to play three sports in high school past, you know, ninth grade or 10th grade if I had lived in Virginia, just because of how competitive it is. Now I could have played like rec league and stuff like that, but I wouldn't have been able to play like varsity sports. So, um, that was an awesome experience, but also because of that, it colors a little bit your perception of how good you are because of how small the school is you're playing, how small um, the area is. And because of that, when I got done high school, I had a 
pretty good high school career um, for the small town that I was in, um, I thought that I was a really, really good mm-hmm. baseball player. Um, you know, I thought I was a really, really good um, basketball, football player as well. Then once I kind of realized how big the world was and how I wasn't really that good at any of those things, I was pissed off because my small town had kind of convinced me that I was that good when in reality I wasn't. Just to give you like a little perspective on uh, small town life, not that I'm hating on it by any means, like I love where I grew up and I love the people in Pulteney, Vermont. Um, that said, I remember being a freshman in high school at football practice and the guy who, um, there was a guy who was like a senior in high school and he wasn't a good football player. He was on the team. He didn't get any playing time on varsity at, uh, Pulteney high school, which is a pretty small high school. And he was convinced that he would be able to play football at Georgia Tech. And reason being is because the only people he'd ever been able to evaluate himself against were, you know, not really that much better than him. And, you know, I don't think that that person was like the smartest human being of all time. But, um, you know, I thought I had a legitimate, like, chance to play pretty high-level Division One baseball once I was done high school. And... uh I, looking back, I I had no prayer because I had no way to evaluate myself. Now everybody's got Instagram. Like you can go on, you can go online and see, you know, a 15 year old kid throwing like 92. Um, but back then I remember opening up a sports illustrated for kids, um, which was my magazine back in the day. Um, but I remember opening up a sports illustrated for kids and looking at, there was like an article about pitchers that throw pretty hard, um, at different like age groups. Right. And they were showing one and this is, I don't remember the exact numbers, but they were showing like a, you know, a 10 year old. And they were saying that like, he threw like 55 or something like that. And they're like, Oh yeah, he throws so hard. And they were showing like a, um, 12 year old that was throwing like, I don't know. I want to say like, you know, 70 or something like that. And when I was like a 12 year old, I was throwing like 62 and I was like, Oh man, like I'm not that far off. And then when I got into high school, you know, I was one of the harder throwers in our league and I was throwing like 81. Like, obviously I can look at big league baseball and be like, Oh my gosh, these guys are throwing 95 plus. But at the same time you look at those people, like these are grown men and, uh, the reason that they can throw this hard is because they're grown men. And if had I known how big the world was and how hard everyone else was throwing, like I probably would have, or at least I like to think that I would have reevaluated the way that I was training. Um, cause it wasn't, it wasn't optimal. And I think what made me the, the most mad about like living in a small town is that, um, you know, it's easy to be famous there, <laughs> not famous. That's not the, the, the words I'm looking for, but if I'd have trained for, you know, half as hard as people, you know, that play at really competitive high schools have to train, I would have been okay. And I might've been in a better spot. So my biggest problem was always that my motivation for training was external and not internal when I was in high school and, and in college, I could probably more in high school. Um, and when I say that, what that means is that, 
I was motivated by the competition and how obsessed that I am with actually the act of competition. So if I was better than everyone that I was playing against, I felt like I was in good shape. But what I didn't realize is that there were, you know, people like all over the United States that were way better than the people that I was playing against. So I needed to be trying to chase like this higher standard of, um, who I was. And I didn't understand that at the time. And that's probably what led to me being so not behind physically. Like, I don't think that I was like a, you know, I wasn't like a runt or something like that going into college, but you know, had I prepared the way that I should have, I would have been, you know, in much better physical condition when I go to college. I mean, the old adage is that high school baseball or high school is played by um, boys, college is played by men. Totally true. Um, but if you can be, a, you know, physically a man when you get to college, you'll do better in college. So I spent the majority of my college career frustrated that um, I couldn't hit for power because it's the thing that I always thought that was holding me back. Um, you know, I could always hit for average even when I was in college. You know, you put basically any pitcher on the mound, I could figure out a way to hit him solidly, um, you know, over the infield to, you know, get a base knock. Um, my problem was is that I couldn't really hit the ball that far. Um, and I didn't, I wasn't really that fast. So the way I looked at it at the time, and I still kind of look at it this way, is that um, if you're an infielder, or specifically like a middle infielder, I was like a shortstop, third base kind of guy, um, and you don't have a ton of power, then you have to be really fast to be, you know, a guy that has a chance to make it on pro ball. So... So the combinations that usually work are, um, you know, average speed and power or really, really fast and hit for average. And I could hit for average and I was like average speed. So I couldn't really, uh, I, w I wasn't really going to make it. And I kind of came to that realization about junior year of college and I decided that I was done and that I was going to um, pursue science instead, because that was like the thing that I thought, um, you know, my, my career, the path I thought my career was going to take. Um, at the time I was a biology major and a chemistry minor. Um, I ended up much later working at the food and drug administration, but I'm going to kind of, um, bounce back a little bit and talk about, um, my transition from, high school to college and, um, you know, kind of how that whole thing went down, which is kind of shaped where I'm at with what I, what I think about hitting now. So, um, in high school, I didn't really have, I don't want to say I didn't have good coaching because, um, there were some coaches around me that had like great influence, like in my life. And, you know, I still, um, you know, call them like, you know, I still have a lot of respect for them today. Um, but, like my high school coach didn't really try to do anything with my swing. Um, just because it was already like pretty successful in my thought process in high school was just be athletic. There's the ball. I'm going to hit it basically. 
Um, which, you know, if you have a really good swing pattern already, it's not a approach that I don't recommend. I mean, I think, I think that that can work if you have a pretty good swing, but, um, the problem was, is when I went to college, um, I sprained my ankle during fall ball and, uh, you know, as I talked about earlier about having like a really, really small high school, I had literally never tried out for a team in my entire life. Um, and I just had never experienced that before. So I didn't really know, um, what to do. I was kind of scared I was going to get cut because I just never tried out before. I knew, you know, intuitively how I stacked up. I knew that I was good enough to make the team that I should make the team that people weren't really like that much better than me, even like the seniors. Um, I thought that I was in a pretty good spot, but just having, being a person who played at a really, really small high school, I didn't really know that, um, I, I didn't really know what it felt like to try out for a team. So when I sprained my ankle, you know, in fall ball, I was, I did it playing basketball, just like messing around on the weekend, um, which was pretty dumb at the time. And because of that, you know, kind of like misguided decision to go play basketball, like competitively. Cause like, I'm one of those people that I can't do anything. Um, <laughs> if I'm not like competing. So, you know, if we're playing monopoly, like I'm trying to beat you, if we're playing cards, I'm trying to beat you. You know, if we're, doesn't matter, insert anything, I'm trying to beat you. <laughs> so the second that we were playing basketball, you know, my like competitiveness like turned on and like, I shouldn't have really been like going that hard. I should have been like, you know, just kind of going through the motions because it wasn't really that serious. Um, I went a little too hard and sprained the ankle. I had to tell my coach that. And it was like the third week of fall ball or something like that. And I'd had two pretty solid weeks under my belt. I was hitting like above 300, maybe approaching 400, something like that. The first two weeks. So I was doing fine, but I had to sit out the next weekend. The doctor actually recommended I sit out three weeks, which there was only like two weeks left of fall ball. So I was afraid that if I just sat out, I would get cut and that I wasn't going to be able to, you know, make the team. So I sat out for one weekend. Um, so I did it on like a, um, Saturday or something like that. And we had a game Sunday. Um, so I sat out like basically one day I sat out for like a week of practice and then I tried to go and play the next weekend, um, which I had to basically fight the trainer to get her to tape my ankle <laughs> because, um, because it was like black and blue and stuff. And she was like, well, I don't think you should be really playing on this. And I was like, well, you know, either you tape it like and do a good job and I go out there and play and I'm okay, or I tape it and I do a bad job because I don't know how to tape an ankle that well, but either one way or another, I'm going out there and playing whether you like it or not. So she was not very happy with me, but it is what it is. I was, you know, kind of scared for like, you know, at the time, what was like my livelihood. So I, uh, you know, fought to get that ankle taped. I got it taped. Um, I went out there and played, um, really, really poorly because <laughs> I could hardly run. I couldn't really swing. It was my left ankle and I hit right handed. So like, you know, 
now being the hitting nerd that I am, I, I look at that and like, I know that like your ankle has to be pretty stable in your swing. Um, because you're getting a lot of ground force from your front leg. So you have to be uh, pretty strong with that front ankle. And if it rolls, you've got to be able to like, be able to take that. And, uh, at the time I couldn't, I could hardly move my ankle. So rolling my ankle basically was the worst thing that I could possibly do to myself. So, um, I hit like absolute garbage and, but I did prove to my coach that I had a lot of guts. So I didn't get cut, but because for the last two weeks I hit really, really badly, like the worst I'd ever hit up until that point. Um, my coaches were like, Hey, like we're either going to make you a pitcher only, or we've got to change your swing because your swing, there's a lot of things that are wrong with it. So this is kind of where my <laughs> downward spiral in that year of baseball began. Um, I elected pretty quickly to change my swing because I really had no interest in pitching at the college level, you know, playing one every five days or only getting like, you know, 10 innings a year or something like that. That sounded awful to me. I wanted the opportunity to be an everyday player so I could play the game I love every day. So I had no interest in doing that. So I was like, yeah, okay, we'll change my swing. And because I had really never had anyone help me with my swing up to that point, I felt like, um, you know, anything that we did was going to help just because I'd never done anything other than just like, Hey, like grab a bat and let's swing it. So first day in the cage with my coach, I'm not going to use names. That's not important. Um, first day in the cage with my coach, you know, he flips me a couple balls and, and this is like probably like December. So my ankle is like pretty healed up at the time. I'm still like a little tender. Um, but you know, healed up to a point where like I can, I can swing functionally. And at the end of my swing, my front knee was a little bit bent and my coach is like, Hey, like if you want to swing, you know, like a Japanese player, like that's, that's fine. You know, but like, if you want to swing like with power, you've got to, you've got to have a straight front leg. Now let me, let me clarify because, um, at the end of the swing, I want hitters to have a straight front leg now. And I, I teach that straight front leg, as long as it's on an angle from foot to hip, then that's fine. And that's exactly what we're looking for. But what I interpreted it as was when my front foot lands, I need to have it perfectly straight from the time that it lands through the end of my swing. So I'm not sure looking back as a 27 year old, um, looking back at myself as an 18 year old, I'm not sure if my coach meant that at the time, if he meant for that, but that's how I interpreted it. So I tried to run with it that way. So I started doing that and I didn't really feel powerful, but I was kind of just like trying to trust the process. And that was the information that I was getting from him. So I, uh, continue to try to trust that process, you know, for a couple months. The other thing that he was telling me is that I was too long to the ball. He was saying that my swing was like loopy and that I was going to get beat by college level fastballs. And, uh, so I changed that as well. Became more like vertical down to the ball, um, to contact. And then just trying to like hold my bat in the zone through contact. Um, and what, kind of happened as a result was I just, I didn't really feel, feel powerful at all. 
And when I took rounds of BP, balls just didn't really go anywhere. Um, so, but once again, this is like, you know, early December, maybe late November. I don't remember. Like I said, it was like, uh, it's like nine years ago now, but, uh, going into, you know, winter break, I felt not great about my swing, but my coach felt good about my swing. So, you know, that made me feel good about my swing. I just never really had anyone work with me in that kind of way on my swing yet. So, um, I get into in the first couple of days of practice and I just like, I can't hit like to the point where, you know, out of a round of 20 ball, balls of batting practice, I felt like a fish out of water on like, you know, 11 of them, which is like unacceptable for like a college hitter. I didn't, didn't know what I was doing. Um, I didn't know how to generate force, um, into the barrel using that, the techniques that I was like kind of learning. And, uh, it was really frustrating. So after about like two weeks of that, um, I was really kind of struggling with how much I trusted, um, like my coaches to give me any type of information at that point. And simultaneously they were deciding that they thought that I couldn't hit college level pitching. And with that movement pattern, they were right. There's no, I didn't have a prayer of hitting college pitching with that movement pattern. Um, which is, you know, ironic cause that's the movement pattern that they, they wanted me to have, or at least at the time, that's what I thought. And I, th I think that's true to this day, but I could be wrong. So I don't want to like put words in their mouth, but that's, um, you know, that's where I was. And I was really frustrated. Um, so they decided they wanted to make me a pitcher only. And I didn't want to do that. Um, as I already kind of alluded to a second ago, but I didn't, I didn't really know what to do. So I went to the pitcher's practices and, you know, the pitching coach was trying to tell me all these things about, you know, if I wanted to get innings this year, I should throw more like three quarter. I got to, you know, throw my curveball more. Um, maybe I shouldn't consider being like a sidearm specialist, all this kind of stuff. And that's just going in one ear out the other. Cause like, I have no, I have no interest in being a pitcher at all. And I'm sure there's probably people listening to this and they're like, Oh, well, this guy like wasn't like in it for the team. And I guess looking back at like an 18 year old self, like, you know, that's probably right. But at the same time for me, like my goal wasn't to play college baseball. It was to be a position player on a college baseball team. I didn't want to pitch. Um, I was kind of, I pitched a ton in high school and I was like, just over it. Um, I didn't, I didn't want to throw any more on the mound. So, um, my perspective on that whole thing was that, you know, that was what I wanted out of my college baseball experience and I wasn't getting it. So when I was, you know, told like for the good of the team that I should be a pitcher, I, I kind of wasn't hearing it. So I went along with it for the first, like, week. And then I tried to talk to the coach again and ask him if I could hit again. And he said, yes. Um, but pitching is going to be the priority. 
and if I want to hit, then I've got to do it, like, at the end. Um, and I had to get, like, a, a hitting buddy who also was, like, a pitcher slash hitter. So I hit with this this one guy, Mike, a lot. Um, and uh, there was, like, no, it was just me and him. There was, like, no coaches or anything there. So no one to see whether I was doing well, doing bad, whatever. Um, it was just him and I hitting, which was fine. I think I actually, like, I was able to kind of find my swing a little bit again, um, hitting with him rather than like having the coaches because he didn't really say much to me about like, you know, what it is I should be doing. It was kind of just like be athletic and, uh, that was working. So, um, I kind of started to get my swing back, but it didn't matter because I was already kind of out of, you know, out of the coach's good graces and kind of written off for, you know, what they thought I could be. And, I didn't, but I didn't really know that at the time. I kind of just was trying to, you know, keep, keep going, keep my head down, keep moving. And then, um, when game started, I started kind of not really, um, taking pregame BP very much. Like I wasn't like on the list to like be able to even take batting practice pregame, which made me feel like really alienated because I didn't really want to be a pitcher seemed like they didn't really want me to be a hitter. Um, but hitting was the only thing that I really cared about. So I got really frustrated and started looking into transferring. Um, the obvious, um, spot for me to transfer would have been, and this is actually where I ended up transferring was Castleton state college, which was maybe like 15 minutes from my hometown. Um, I knew, um, some of the players there already. I kind of knew, where I stacked up, I knew that I probably would be able to make the team, have a spot, be able to kind of compete for a starting job. And, uh, so I just started making that process happening, like the transferring process, but it felt really, really awful. Um, I just kind of felt like I was like going home with my tail between my legs and that's what I was doing. I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and, you know, pretend like I went to I went away to school and like conquered the world. I, I went away to school. I didn't really have a ton of confidence about what my swing was and what my swing should be. So when people told me to do something different, you know, I was very susceptible to that. And I just did whatever, you know, they wanted me to do, um, which, which wasn't the thing that actually, you know, benefited me. So, um, something that I use a lot with the hitters that I work with now is I always try to tell them that they own their swing and if they don't believe in it, um, they can't see it. Um, if they can't ask questions about it, um, then they shouldn't do it. So like what would happen a lot of times is I would kind of ask why, or for me, actually, I wouldn't even really ask why I would just listen and kind of be a blind sheep and do whatever these coaches wanted me to do. Um, but, um, you know, so now I spend a lot of time trying to teach people to ask questions, to like interrogate the process and make sure that the process is exactly what they want it to, or what it should be. Where many times for me, I'd had no ownership of the process. They own the process you know, I didn't really ask questions about the process and had I asked questions and, and 
try to figure out what the downstream effect was, I probably would have figured it out. I was, you know, I'm a pretty smart dude, I think anyway. Um, but I, but I didn't. And, uh, you know, I think that makes me more intelligent about the way that I approach this now. So that was like a, a curse of the time, but a blessing now. So, um, anyway, so I go back to Castleton and I, um, you know, come home, you know, and do the whole, like everyone sees you back in town. It's like, Oh, Kurt's back in town, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I basically make up a story that it was too expensive to go to school. It was, I might edit that name out later. I don't think that part's important, but it was too expensive to go where I was going to school. Um, but, uh, but that's not why I left. I mean, I would have had it been a better like baseball situation. I probably would have happily taken on the debt and not cared. Um, you know, me being, you know, 27 years old now, like I can look back and be like, yeah, I'm glad I didn't take on that debt. I have way more bills now. Um, but at the time when you're 18, you don't really think about that stuff. And so I go back home and I just kind of told everyone it's too expensive for what I wanted to do. Cause at the time I was a, a history major and, uh, I wanted to teach like high school history, history and like coach baseball as well. I just thought that like coaching high school history was like the avenue by which I could get in to, uh, to coaching. So that really, that's, that was my plan at the time. So, um, I transferred back to Castleton. I'm taking just some like filler class, not filler classes, but you know, like general education credit classes, like freshman and sophomore classes. And I take a chemistry class and I'm also, you know, playing baseball at the same time. And I take the chemistry class and like, I didn't really try that hard. And I got like a A plus and I was like, Oh, well maybe I should do this. I think I'm a little bit better at this than I'm at history because historically I wasn't a really good writer. Um, I just, you know, that was always the the part of like the SAT that I struggled with. I'm a lot better writer now because I worked on it a lot, but back then I was awful at it. And in science, it was very much like cut and dry. Like I did this, I did this, I did this. And then I got this result, which seemed made much more sense to me. So I changed majors, decided I wanted to be a high school science teacher instead of a high school history teacher. And, you know, for baseball, I, you know, had a pretty good year my freshman year, and I, or freshman year, sorry, sophomore year. And uh, I was like the 10th guy on the team. I mean, it's arguable about whether I should have started or not. Um, I think I probably should, but I guess you could make an argument in the other, the other bucket that I shouldn't have. Um, that part doesn't matter. Um, the person that started over me... Um, is one of my best friends and an awesome guy. And I was better than him offensively. He was better than me defensively. Um, I always thought that I was, you know, good enough offensively and good enough defensively where like, you know, it didn't matter, but he was clearly better than me defensively. Um, if you're a baseball nerd or like a shortstop and you know what the daylight play is, um, if not, you should be able to Google it. But, Basically, daylight play is just like when the shortstop shows his glove. 
slips in between the second the guy in second and uh, the bag. The pitcher, you know, does a pickoff throw and you know gets there quick. Um, my buddy was literally a genius when it came to the daylight play. He would get almost and. Part of this was like, you know, sometimes the runners wouldn't be really paying attention the way that they probably should have been. But this number probably isn't correct, and there's no way to fact check it. (laughs) But I always felt like he would get one person a game with a daylight play, which is absurd. (laughs) Like an absurd, crazy statistic. But he would get an absurd amount of people out with that. So we would just pick up like an out just because of like his baseball IQ. And his baseball IQ is still higher than anyone that probably that I've ever met. Um, from a straight like, you know, what are we going to do at this moment versus this moment? Like in a in a game sense, baseball IQ, um, his is off the charts, and he's obsessed with baseball probably even more than I am. He's just more obsessed with like the defensive and like all the the other type of nitty-gritty where I'm more like into the into the the swing we'll have him on the pod he's the man um but anyways um so it's arguable whether I should start it or not that part doesn't matter uh, but I had a good year swing was back I hit like 340 or something like that and I would have hit better um had I not had so many pinch hit opportunities if you're a you know if you're a baseball player or have played any type of baseball you know that pinch hitting is really, really hard because you just kind of come off cold. You're not in the flow of the game. Um, so the fact that I had so many pinch hit opportunities kind of brought my av- overall average down. But I still hit in like the high twos in my pinch hitting appearances. So it was pretty good. I'm not saying that I was like Barry Bonds. It was a, and I didn't really hit any home runs or anything. Um, it was small conference college baseball, um, Division three up in Vermont and our conference wasn't really that good, but we had a really good year, won two games at regionals. Um, so it was a lot of fun, probably the best year of my life. Um, as far as just like how much fun we had, you know, and how, how good we were. But anyways, I digress. Uh, the next year I, you know, worked super hard over the summer. I finally like you know, that year that we were playing and then like going into the next year, I finally hit the gym the way that I like needed to. And I was in like the best shape of my life. Um, go through fall ball. I get hit by a pitch, the first pitch of fall ball. And it hit me in the thumb of my top hand. And don't ask me how I did this. I know when the pitch is coming inside, you're supposed to drop and drop your hands and the bat as well. I didn't, I ducked, kept my hands up. Don't know why. Um, hit me in the thumb. Couldn't swing a bat the rest of fall ball. Um, so I basically had to sit out for fall ball. And then fall ball ends, and I kind of start, like I said, I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm still working out, even though the thumb thing was an issue. I could still do leg stuff. And uh, fall ball ends, and I start getting, like, some heart palpitations and stuff like that. So I'm a little freaked out. Go to the doctor. And find out that I have like this chest wall deformity. I'm fine. I'm not like dying or anything. Um, but, uh, had this chest wall deformity and it's called pe- pectus excavatum. You can Google it. Um, but basically my chest wall is kind of like sunken in a little bit and you probably have a friend or whatever that has this. It's kind of common. 
Um, if you're a science nerd, apparently, um, it is the same genetic defect as scoliosis, but for men. And I don't think that's 100% scientifically proven, but that's what my surgeon was telling me. He's like, we think that it's the same, but there's no way to actually prove it um, because scoliosis appears in four times as many women as it does men, and pectus escovatum appears in four times as many men as women. Um, That proportion may be wrong. I was told that number like years and years ago, but just for giggles. So anyways, um, found out I had that and you know, it's not like a life threatening thing. I wasn't going to like die or anything, but like at the time, my, the way that I wanted my life to line up was, you know, I wanted to play baseball for the next, you know, the next two years and be the best version of Kurt Hughes that I possibly could be. So I elected to get surgery to, kind of like basically pop out my chest wall and you can Google that too, if you want. Um, but so I did that, um, which sucked. I had to sit out the whole year, but while I was sitting out the whole year, I started reading like some baseball books. Um, I figured as long if I'm out and like, I can't play, I might as well do some reading to figure out, you know, if the way that I'm doing things is, um, the best way to do them or not. So I read, I read a couple books, but the only really notable one was positional hitting by Jamie Savalas. I don't know if I pronounced that right. So I apologize to Jamie if he's listening, he's not, but, (laughs) but, uh, I apologize if he is, but anyways, uh, to make a long story short, I read that book and I remember reading it And just thinking in my head, well, like, this can't be wrong. Um, Like I said, I was starting to kind of get into science. I wasn't really taking any, like, physics classes or anything yet. But what I noticed when I read the book, all that the book is, and if you've read it, it's, like, a really, really short book. It's, like, not even 100 pages. And it's, like, one of the big, like, kind of picture book styles books almost. Um, So, anyways, when you read it, it's just... Basically, he's not saying like, hey, I understand kinesiology really, really well, and this is what you should do. It was kind of just like, hey, man, like I took a bunch of videos of major league hitters, and based on all the videos I looked at, here's all of like the little checkpoints that these guys get into. And I was like, well, like it's, you know, it's video evidence. Like this can't really be wrong. Um, I think it's right. So I read the book like four times, was like blown away by it. And I'm not sure why I was thinking that this was like news because I already read Science of Hitting and I already knew that like, you know, swinging up a little bit was a good idea. Um, if you haven't read Science of Hitting, it's by Ted Williams. It's great. Phenomenal book. Um, but yeah, so I read Positional Hitting. It's blown away feels like everything that I had thought was right and everything that my coaches in the past had told me about the swing was wrong. So it totally changed my mind. And from that point on, the moment I read that book, I felt like I was at zero. I was like, okay, like I know nothing. 
and since then I've approached been approaching the swing like I know nothing. Um, and even now I try and not feel like I know what I'm doing because in science, if you always know what you're doing, then you're not trying, then you're not pushing things forward. And even the things that you think that, you know, that you think are like concrete, if someone runs the test and they can't replicate your results, then, then they're not, you know, then, then they're not the results anymore. They're different results. So, um, or, or your hypothesis is, you know, disproven. So it's important to understand and recognize that, you know, that moment was the moment where I said, okay, well, what if everybody is wrong and what if everybody actually knows nothing? And I started just being really, really different about the way I approached hitting from that point on. But I still didn't think like what I do now was a job. <laughs> I didn't think that it existed. I, I knew that like this guy, Jamie Savalas, he was like working with like Ben Zobris and he, you know, worked with Ra Raul Abanez like a little bit and stuff like that. Um, I knew that obviously that guy was making money, but in my head I was like, well, how many other people, how many other guys look like that are there in this world that actually are making money this way? And I didn't realize the market size is what it was in Vermont. There was like no hitting coaches. Like, you know, sometimes my college coach would, I'd see him teaching lessons for kids and he'd get paid for that. Or, um, maybe, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not sure if he can legally do that. And I'm not sure if he was actually getting paid for that. So I, you know, I saw, you know, some lessons happening here and there when I was a college player, I got, um, I taught a couple lessons here and there and you know, they were not good lessons. Objectively, I was pretty bad at teaching hitting at the time. And I still just didn't think that like, you know, this whole thing was real. So even as, you know, I kind of started to go down this rabbit hole and started trying to like figure out the swing and like how to, you know, build like a biomechanical model and all the stuff I... I just didn't think that I could do it for real. So next year comes around, um, in uh, spring ball or uh, sorry, fall ball. And I play fall ball and I was taking organic chemistry at the time. Cause like I said, I was a biology major with a chem minor. Maybe I didn't say that. doesn't matter. That's what I was taking organic chemistry at the time and I'm coming to the realization that this is by far the hardest class that I've ever taken, like bar none. Like I've never taken anything that's this difficult. So I'm, you know, we have ball, we have baseball, like a couple days a week, maybe one, two, like, I don't know, maybe like four days a week and in season, you know, that, that trends up to like, you know, six days a week. But like, if you're really serious about it, you're doing seven, just the coaches involved in the seventh. So during the fall, when we're doing four days a week, I was struggling, like really, really struggling to be able to get the grades that 
I needed um, to be able to get into grad school or even pass the class for that matter. So after fall ball ended, like I had like a talk with the pitching coach from my school who, um, he was my Legion ball coach when I was like in high school and after my first year of college and stuff. And he'd been like a pretty, uh, pretty like influential person to me. Um, kind of helped me grow up. He didn't, uh, he didn't take my crap. So he helped me kind of become a man. And, uh, so I talked with him and I was like, like, here's the situation. I don't really know. I don't really know what to do. And he was like, okay, well, do you, do you think you're going to become a pro baseball player? I was like, probably not. He's like, can you hit a home run every time? It's like, no. It's like, well, that's what it takes to be a pro baseball player. So I'm here to tell you that, you know, I obviously want you to play baseball for us, but like, you're not going to be a pro baseball player. So like, if you think that being a professional scientist is where you're going, then you have to push your chips in there. So, you know, I cried cause that was like a really hard moment. And, uh, I quit the team and that was it. Or so I thought, um, but I, you know, kind of still try to stay involved, like with the team a little bit here and there. Um, there was a guy that I played ball with like growing up who had kind of not really had a lot of success at the plate, but you know, he was always a really like plus athlete and I kind of tried to help him, took him under my wing and, you know, I still wasn't really that good at what I do at the time. And he, still ended up having like a career where he, or where he struck out more than he should have. But you know, his first two years or maybe it was his first year. I think it was his first two years. He didn't really hit well at all. You know, he always makes a joke that he hit, didn't hit his, his, uh, his weight. And then the next two years, um, his junior year, I think he hit like 325 or something like that. And then his senior year, he was floating around 300 again um, with a couple home runs and he had a huge game and like their conference championship and stuff. Um, so, you know, so that was some kind of like contribution that I had. Um, but you know, other than that, you know, I played like a little bit in the summer here and there, but their baseball was kind of done for me. I just pushed all my chips into the science and, you know, I had two more years of school. I had that that junior year that I quit and then the senior year and, you know, my senior year, my chips were totally pushed in in school. And then I had to start working and stuff cause I was paying my student loans already. So I was like working in a restaurant trying to pay bills. I was in, you know, four super hard science classes and I was also, uh, doing an independent research project, which is more of like an environmental science, independent research project, but that's a whole nother, whole nother story. Um, but it was, uh, it was an experience. I really, uh, I learned a lot in those times and in, in that time and really being away from the game of baseball, I think taught me more about how to approach what I do now than actually being in baseball, which is, really probably for another day. But, um, so after, after graduation, um, 
I decided that I needed to go to like an area of the country that had more like serious science jobs. Um, so when I say serious, I, I was like, it's funny. I talk, used to talk to my mom when I was a kid and about like what I wanted to do. And this was probably right around the time that I figured out that I probably wasn't going to be a pro baseball player. Um, just because I wasn't like the fastest human in the world and like, wasn't like really, really big or whatever. I just was talking to her about what I wanted to do. And I said, I just want to, I just want to do something that matters. I don't want to wake up every day and just like punch a clock and do something that to me feels like, you know, meaningless. So, um, I had a couple like, you know, phone interviews and stuff scheduled like up in Vermont. And the most notable one was, um, I was going to do an interview for, uh, Cabot cheese. They wanted me to be like a, a lab manager or whatever there. And they were going to, if I were to get the job, I don't know if I would have got the job or not. Probably not. But, um, basically I just would have been pouring plate cow augers all day long, which basically you're just trying to figure out how much bacteria is in the dairy product that you're putting out. And I just didn't want to do that. That just seemed like, you know, seemed like, you know, 30 years, if I was going to do that for that long, 30 years of hell. And I just didn't want to wake up every day and just do the same thing over and over and over again and not feel like I was really making a huge impact in the world. I felt like you could probably take someone else and put them in that spot and be able to do exactly what I was doing, which is true for a lot of jobs you do. And I'm not being demeaning towards that point at all. But what I am saying is I didn't want that to be my path. So, um, me and some friends moved to like the DC area. I didn't even take the phone interview because I knew that if I took the phone interview and I got offered the job, then I would be tempted to take it. And if I took the job, then I could see myself staying at a job and I didn't want to tempt myself with it. So I didn't take it. I didn't take the interview. I, uh, moved down to DC broke as they come. Um, but since I worked in a restaurant in college, I knew that I could get a job basically right away. So I just, the first day threw on like a button down shirt and just like walked around downtown silver spring until I got hired by a restaurant. So I did that for a while and worked like stupid hours for like eight months before I got hired at the food and drug administration as a, uh, computational chemist. Basically what I was doing was, um, building computer models to predict whether a drug is going to be toxic or not based on its chemical structure. Um, I'm not going to get in the weeds too much, but like essentially, uh, you know, chemicals, they have, you know, like a big chemical substructure that they're made up of. And, certain chemical structure substructures can like interact with things like DNA and they can like mess up DNA and they can cause cancer. Right. So the majority of what we did was to determine whether a job, a drug was going to be uh, mutagenic or carcinogenic or cause chromosome aberrations. Um, it's not really important for you to like know the difference between those things, but that's what I was doing. So I did that for a while, um, like a year and, a couple months, something like that. 
And after like six months of working at FDA, I started coaching baseball again, just on the side for like a travel organization. And I already had kind of talked about living in Vermont and travel baseball at the time when I was living in Vermont, it wasn't really a thing. It existed. There was certainly some travel baseball programs, but it wasn't like, um, how do I say it? It wasn't like an industry, like there, it wasn't as popular as it is down here. Like when I first moved down here or as it is now, it wasn't even close to that popular. So I started coaching and I started realizing that baseball was much more an industry down here. And the jobs that I thought didn't exist, like hitting coach, um, hitting instructor, you know, swing trainer whatever, I'm just throwing job names out there. But these jobs I didn't think existed, I realized that when, you know, people had disposable income within the market, those jobs did exist. So I, you know, kind of had to decide whether I wanted to, to do this, what I'm doing now, right? Like, you know, teaching every like component of the swing or if I wanted to continue to do science. And I just found myself like at a lot of the practices and like, um, for like, the travel organization, I found myself really frustrated with the way that the coaches were communicating hitting because it just kind of brought me back to like college and I was just really, really, I didn't know what to do when I hear, when I heard all these coaches, you know, saying, you know, things like, you know, swing down, be like really, really short to the ball. And, um, I just, I felt like the kids like needed me. <laughs> they, they needed, um, someone to kind of like really get in nitty gritty and break down their swings. And, uh, so at that point I kind of decided that I was gonna, I was gonna quit the food and drug administration and try to start this business that I, that I own now. So, um, and that was three and yeah, almost three and a half years ago. So it's been a while since then. And, uh, for the last, you know, for the first year, um, I stayed working at FDA and slowly kind of like got out the door there. Um, I quit. Um, and I, I just, uh, started focusing much more on lessons. Um, but in order to like make things fit financially, I had to go back into working in restaurants. So I worked, uh, at a restaurant in Tyson's corner for like two years while I was making that, making that work. Um, when I first started, I was working like a lot there. Um, and, but then as my lesson load increased, I was able to kind of like reduce my hours and teach more and more and more and spend more time on research and figure out, you know, what's the best way to actually do this. And, you know, that whole time I was really working on, um, just like quality of like how well I can teach a lesson and not necessarily like quantity or like really trying to make the business blow up because I knew that if I were to get too many clients in the beginning, before I knew what the heck I was doing, I wouldn't do a good job. And, you know, the business would be worse for it. So I 
kind of made the decision to not really spend a whole lot of time on marketing or do any of that stuff until I felt like the product was really good. So if you were to like go, you know, on, on Facebook or if you go like on my Instagram or any of that, if you look back, if you just look at my business Instagram, I'm looking at it right now, my first post ever on my business Instagram, and you've probably, you've seen a lot of them since then. If you haven't follow me. Um, but my first business Instagram post was, it was August 13th, 2016. And I didn't really get serious about it until like 2017. So when I started getting serious about it, it was like April 20th, 2017 is when I first started to get a lot of content up. And really that's just because I didn't know what I was doing. And when you don't know what you're doing, you just, you know, if you were like a doctor and you were, didn't know how to do a surgery all that well. Um, and you're like, you know, doing like it's an experimental procedure, right? So like maybe like someone only that only has like, you know, like a couple months to live would be like subject to the procedure or whatever. You wouldn't do like a million of these surgeries and try to like assembly line it. You would do like one of the surgeries, evaluate it, see how you did. Hopefully that, that person you were able to save, but because they only had a couple weeks to live or something like that, you know, maybe that was something that was like, okay. And part, part of the deal. Um, but then you do it again and you don't want to get your volume up and whatever you do, if it's like a human facing business until you're good. And I was really bullish on that. And I think that that <laughs> took me a while. That's one of the reasons it's taken me a long time to get, you know, to capacity. I'm not at capacity yet, but, um, to be able to get like a lot of lessons is because I wanted to make sure that my product was good. I didn't want to just go, do and, and, and fail miserably with these kids because their careers were at stake. So in the beginning, a lot of it, um, was people who probably weren't going to make their team if they didn't work with me. So, but now I'm starting to get like more high level people and I feel better about doing that because now, like I know the stuff I do works really, really well before I was just kind of fumbling around in the dark and, you know, it feels good to be able to kind of say, you know, all of this work that I've done for the past couple of years is now benefiting people. It's never been about me. Like I was talking about before, um, I just want to do something that matters. And maybe that part is kind of like, you know, about, about me, but like if I were, if my job were to like sell website domains and I made like 10 million a year, that wouldn't be like a satisfying thing for me. But like, if I can, if I can help, you know, 20 hitters a year become better than they were last year, I'm just making up a number, become better than they were last year and help them enjoy the game of baseball or softball more then that's more of a win for me than, like selling a website domain would ever be regardless of how much money I make. So 
that's uh, that's kind of where I'm at, and I don't want to to drone on forever, but I wanted to give you guys a little bit of a a feel about who I am, where I'm coming from, and uh, give you just like a little bit of a taste of like what this podcast is going to be like. I'm hoping that um, we'll be able to get coaches on here that you know, are in similar positions to me, not meaning that they're the same job as me, right? I'm not just going to be interviewing, like, swing coaches and stuff like that. I want to interview, like, high school coaches, college coaches, trainers, um, just, like, influential people in the baseball and softball realm. And, and like I said, even even people maybe that aren't necessarily in the baseball and softball realm, people that are... Um, you know, in other fields that, that have information that could benefit people like me or, you know, people, you know, people like you, people that are involved in baseball and softball in any way, I want to bring you guys as much value as possible. And that's, that's really what this podcast is. So you're not going to hear me on here alone very much. Um, I'm certainly going to jump on here sometimes alone, maybe to like answer email questions or to, uh, you know, just talk about like a component of the swing or a component of training or something like that or something psychological. But, um, what I am trying to do is, is help the best I can and really do something that matters to you. So, um, any feedback you have, um, really appreciate it. Um, if you like what you hear, subscribe, I'm really pumped to bring you more content. Um, signing out.